Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this uh, this text that we have the uh, the pleasure of being able to read and to be able to pull, pull truths out of. I just thank you for these men and women and the, the journey with us as we uh, study this very ancient prophetic word and apply it to our times now. And, and I just, I thank you for those listening on the podcast as well, Lord, that this would challenge and encourage and that we would be blessed by this text tonight. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. We're in Hosea five. Uh, as always, I'm big rev. We have our co-teacher mix out there in, uh, in chat land and we will try to answer any questions as they come in live. And all right, so we are, we, last week there was a lot of indictments and um, there was an indictment is, is, is leveled by the grand, a grand jury and that once something's been indicted, then it goes to court and you kind of, you know, okay, what do you plead, guilty or innocent, that kind of thing and the courtroom drama unfolds. Well, here we don't have indictments. Like the indictment's already done. So God is going to actually give a verdict and, or you could translate that word verdict as judgment. And so God is, there's a finality to this text in a way that other texts may not have as much. And it's altogether encouraging and terrifying. So let's start with verses one to seven, the verdict. Hear this, O priests. So I want you to think about who he's mentioning as we go through. He's going to hit everybody. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For the judgment is for you, for you have been a snare at Mitzpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. Now, we don't know what that is. We don't, we, we, the text doesn't tell us what's going on there. But evidently it was bad. Evidently it was so bad that it got God's attention, and God uses precious scripture real estate to bring it up. Ouch! So he continues, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. Ouch. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Now we're going to do our best to unpack that. But just let that sink in for a second. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them. Wow. Wow, God, through Hosea, tell us how you really feel. Man! And they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Dang. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. That's an awkward verse. We'll unpack it. Don't worry. So we have uh, on our page here, 
there's a verdict at Mitzpah. Now, we don't know what's going on with Mitzpah. I mentioned that. We don't know Mitzpah and Tabor. The text doesn't tell us. But check out these verbs, these words he uses here. Um, a, a snare, okay, a net, and a slaughter. Those are hunting images. You use a snare to catch things in the forest, like a bear trap or you know, a little snare to catch squirrels or whatnot, rabbits. And uh, yeah, uh, a, a, a net. Well, in that you can catch fish, sure. Uh, and that, but also you can catch other things. It's just, it's, it's, and, and slaughter. You see, there's something about that. It's even like when you're fishing and you have bait on the end of the lure, you are trying to deceive that fish and to, hey, come get a nice meal. Or you have a, a, a mouse trap with some peanut butter or some cheese on the little thing. And the mouse is going, oh, look at that, a free meal. Okay, you are intentionally deceiving when you're hunting that way. That's the image. That's the image that God is using. The leadership is deceiving the people. They're doing certain things that are leading to the destruction of the ones they are leading. That's the image here. And God is saying, enough already. And then it just continues here. The, uh, number two on the page, I know all about. That's terrifying. If you are like me, especially the me of, of years ago, and you are a hider, hearing God say, I know all about, is about as terrifying as it gets. These people, I don't know if they were hiders or not, but Israel and Ephraim, they were living high on the hog, thinking life is perfect, and they got life all figured out. And they can play the whole religious syncretism thing where they can worship God, Yahweh of Israel, they, then they can worship the Baals. And they can just keep doing that, keep doing that, and the checks keep coming in, and life seems just fine. And nobody knows anything else. They can talk a big game and walk any way they want. Now, I don't know if that's hiding, but maybe they were saying to themselves, you know, we're God's people. God's going to love us. God's going to take care of us. We're God's people. We can do whatever we please. We're God's people. I don't know. All I know is God comes at them hard. I know all about you, Israel, Ephraim. He even goes after Judah. Yeah, Judah's going to get theirs. But dang, the pride of Israel. They shall stumble in his guilt. Woo! See, God knows all about. You're not hiding anything from God. It's impossible. It's impossible to hide anything from God. Why do we try? Verse 6, with their flocks and herds, they shall go seek the Lord. Here they are. They're saying, hey, it's worship time. We're going to bring our sacrifices to the sacrifice area. There's no temple yet. We're going to go to Bethel. We're going to go to the house of the Lord. We're going to go and sacrifice. We're going to bring all of our flocks. And God says, no, I'm gone. Sacrifice all you want. Have a barbecue. It doesn't matter. I'm not there. I have withdrawn from them. Dang. 
Make text it in according to the commentary, mitzvah and tabor were cult centers of pagan worship. Okay. That makes sense. Then the leadership is leading them to do that. Nice. And he continues, we saw in the previous chapter, sin was a lucrative business for the priesthood. Yep. In fact, in, in chapter four, verse eight, it says, they feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. Yeah. They're hiding. Yeah. Like Adam and Eve after they ate. Um, they have dealt faithlessly with the Lord for they have borne alien children. Well, that's, that's an awkward verse. I said it was awkward earlier. But think about it. This is prophetic literature. Prophecy and poetry are our are, are cousins. So in, in prophecy, you're going to have poetry. And we have poetry here. What are the alien children? The fruits of their life, the children that this whole generation they have raised are alien to God. They're foreign to God. They don't look at God as God. They look at God as a buffet choice. They've raised up a generation that doesn't know God to deal faithlessly with the Lord. Wow. They're alien from God. They're strangers to God. God doesn't know them, or God knows them, but they don't know God. There's no relationship there. This is a people that is just playing a game. This is a people that doesn't really have a relationship with God. And God is calling them on it. Dang. Yeah, Daniel, nothing is hidden from his eyes, no matter how much we attempt to hide or disguise. Make text says, sin gives birth to death, James 1. Yeah, um, we see here God holds leaders accountable, or excuse me, God holds leaders responsible. So God's not letting these leaders off the hook. And the same God that in Romans chapter 13 tells us to submit to our leaders because they're in place there because God has placed them there. That same God is also going to hold those leaders accountable. God here lets, does not let the leaders off the hook. In fact, you could argue, as I think would be a convincing argument, that verse 7, the new moon shall devour them with their fields. That's God saying, hey, guess what? What's a new moon? 28 days, 30 days? Within the month, you're crispy critters. What's next on the historical calendar? The Assyrians are going to come through and wipe out the north. That's coming. God's saying here, poetically, with the new moon, you're done. Your fields, whatever, gone. Wow. Now, historically, what's going on here is you have Israel or Ephraim wanting to go to war against Judah. And so uh, Judah's freaking out, so they get someone else to help them. And so uh, the, the, the north is saying, well, we don't want to really want to fight Judah without help. So they're going to get someone to help them. We talked about this in our last session. And just as a crazy thing, it's like a, 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 a Israel civil war, but getting other nations involved. And God's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's something about this first section we can't miss, though. It's in verse two. Sin is revolt. Check this out. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter. Who's he talking about? These sinful folks. When you're in a covenant with God, what is sin? I mean, really think about it. 
if you're claiming to be in the kingdom of the king, this also plays in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the kingdom is here. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done from the Lord's prayer. What is sin? You could argue it's revolt. In fact, God's calling it revolt. They're revolters. You might read this opening section and go, God, what are you doing? Like you're asking God, what are you doing? You're not just saying God. You're saying, you're asking God, what's going on here? How could you not be there when they sacrifice? They're revolting. Treason. Ouch. God takes sin seriously. If that doesn't make you appreciate the cross of Christ, nothing ever will. The wages of sin always have been and always will be death. 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 Great text, make anything that goes against God's will a sin, revolt, rebellion. I never really considered sin as revolt until this chapter. That's something I never have really just processed before. In my sin, I'm revolting against the Almighty God. Who in the world do I think I am? Now say that for yourself. Dang. Warnings. That was the verdict. Ouch, what a verdict. Warnings 8 to 11. Blow the horn in Gebeah. Who comes from Gebeah? Well, Saul of Gebeah. Okay, Saul came from there. That's kind of Gebeah of Benjamin. Wasn't that the city? Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Gebeah? Was it Gebeah or was it the Gibeah? Who was it that, that did the, uh, was it the, the, the horrible chapter in Judges? Was that Gebeah? I'm trying to remember here. It's just coming to my mind. Uh, but it's in Benjamin. Blow the horn in Gebeah. You blow the horn when you're rallying people for war. Blow, blow the horn in Gebeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth Aven. Oh, that's God's little wordplay there. Instead of saying Bethel, house of the Lord, is Beth Aven, house of evil, because they're worshiping Baals there. It's kind of like what Rome would later do, the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel speaks of, that Jesus mentioned, when they came and they brought like a, a pig and put it on Yahweh's altar in the temple. And it's like, oh gosh, it's like the one thing you don't do is you bring pork to a kosher. Yeah, they did that because they said, heck with you and heck with your God. What's going on here? The house of the Lord is going to be a place where you're going to worship other people. Are you serious? So sound the alarm in Beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim has, shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I will make known what is sure. Their day of punishment is coming soon. They were going to be wiped out. Crispy critters, done. The princes of Judah, oh, Judah gets mentioned too. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. It's kind of like saying, you know, this saying, I've got, I've got a next door neighbor, then we don't exactly know where, where his property line begins and mine ends or whatnot. So we just kind of, 
we get out there and mow the lawn. I just kind of mow a little bit too much. He's like, well, I don't know where my lawn is, but I'll just go ahead and mow a little bit on his side. And every once in a while, I'll find that he's mowed that part too. So I'm like, well, have I mowed his lawn or has he, is he mowing my lawn? It's just, we don't really care. We just kind of just mow it. That's probably the most mown, the most mown portion of grass in either of our lawns. It gets like double mowed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, we kind of wait to see it or more dandelions spring it up. But imagine if I began to start moving things from my yard onto that portion of, of yard and began just like creeping over there, just taking a little bit more and taking a little bit more. That's mine. That's mine. I'm defrauding my neighbor. Or if he did that to me, he'd be defrauding me. And that's what you have here. These landmark stones. Okay. That you, you move them, you change what people have. And it was a crime and it was horrible. You were being deceitful. And evidently, if God means this literally, then Judah was taking something from their northern brothers. If God means it figuratively, because this is poetry, this is prophecy, so that is on the table, then, then Judah is being deceitful in some way. Huh. The princes of Judah have become like those, because again, it could be an interpretation here, like those who move the landmark. Upon them, I will pour out my wrath like water. Ooh, how about that? I'm going to pour out. It's like God saying, I'm going to come like wind and rain. Yeah. All right. All right. It is, it is Gabay. Okay. Thank you. Um, the Lord does not tolerate other gods getting his way. All right. There's no God in his category. You bet. Uh, Sandy texted, Gebeah was a location of the notorious rape murder of the concubine that belonged to the Levite in Judges 19. Okay, so it was Gebeah. All right, good. I just, every once in a while, my, the, the back portion of my brain that's kind of going on there is like, wait a minute, was that it? And I'm like trying to find something in the back of my, like, no, I got to talk. I can't think about that. But I, so that's why I kind of talked out loud about this. Is that it? Is that it? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you researched it. Well done. All right, so I'll pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth Ooh, man hey dr god what, what what's what's my what's my uh what's what's my problem well you're determined to go after filth that's your diagnosis is that you are you determined what are you determined for We're going to have that at the very end, this idea of earnestly seeking. What are you determined for? Are you determined for the, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of grocery store um, books of the grocery store kind of preacher? I'm not going to name names here. Have your best life now. Is that you? Are you, are you searching for you? Are you searching for you, 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 and getting your stuff and making sure your life is good? And all? It's like, that's not denying the self. That wouldn't fly with Jesus. Why would it fly in Hosea? Determined to go after filth. When you're determined to do something, you'll do it. In my years of hypocrisy, this verse was me. I was determined. I don't want to give examples of that because I'm ashamed of those examples. But this verse was me. I was determined. So when I ask you to look at your own heart, I'm not doing it hypocritically. My heart is beating the crap out of me right now. As I remember. 
he was determined to go after Phil. See, there's two warnings here. Number one, God was going to deal with Judah. And from Ephraim's standpoint, they thought Judah was the golden boy. God was going to go after Judah. So Ephraim, hey, worry about yourself. Stop worrying about these people down here. God's going to deal with them too. It's going to be in a, you know, a little bit of time. The Assyrians aren't going to do it. But the ones who beat the Assyrians will. We know them as the Babylonians. And they're going to come and they're going to wipe out Judah. They're going to knock God's house to the ground. And they're going to cart everybody out. Or a lot of people. Judah's going to get theirs. But God's not talking to Judah. God's talking to the north. Huh. What answers here? Well, you've got this idea. Sound the trumpet, sound the trumpet. Israel has this thing. It has this bee in their bonnet. It has this idea that the only answer it has, or it only has two answers. They got two choices they're going to make. One is they got to go to war. And they got to go beat up on Judah. Or the other answer is we got to ally with somebody or they're going to beat up on us. See, they have two answers here. And God's telling them, hey, knock it off. Those aren't your answers. Just focus on yourself. I'm going to take care of them. And if you don't watch it, I'm going to take care of you. This is God. So we have the limit of humanistic answers here. For so many people, in fact, you might, you might even say that what was the difference between biblical counseling? I do biblical counseling. What's the, the main difference between biblical counseling and secular counseling? It all comes down to anthropology. Secular counseling has at, the, at its center, I am essentially good. The answer can be found within me. I have the ability to eventually correct things. As long as I do the necessary changes, as long as I do this, 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 and this, and this, I will be my own answer. In fact, you talk to some secular counselors like I have, and they say, well, my job is to help people find the answer within themselves. And see, as a biblical counselor, I'm the exact opposite. Because the Bible says that man is not inherently good, and that man does not inherently have the answer. That man is inherently evil. And we don't trust our heart. Our heart deceives us. It leads us to destruction. And on our own, we will never, ever, 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 ever choose the holy. Our answers are never humanistic. They are theistic. We turn to God for our hope. We open up the pages of the Bible, and there we have our hope. There we find our healing. There we find our direction. That's it. That's the main difference. I am not the answer. God is. See, there's a limit to humanistic answers here. They only go so far. At some point, you're the hero. Because you have to be. What else is there? Or some other person becomes the hero. And they help you to also become the hero. No. That is not Christian. 
Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. That is Christian. Humanistic answers have a limit because humanity has a limit. Yeah, great text, Sandy. One provides earthly solutions and one provides someone who is the solution. I'm not saying there's no value in that. It's just kind of like when my, my, my family and I went to the creation, or the creation Museum and the Ark and they challenged us and they said, who do you go to first? Who is your first choice for truth? Who do you go to most? It's a fascinating question. A great question for car rides coming home. Hey, son, we need to learn this. Who is my expert? I'm a scientist. I've got a biology degree. I've done plenty of science experiments. Who do I go to first? As a Christian, that answer needs to be God. We go to God's word. We take God's word at face value and we apply it appropriately. There it is. That's where we go to first. Now, if you have a mathematical equation, you're trying to figure things out, like, well, I'm not going to open up Hosea to do my math problems. I mean, I mean, we're dealing with God's word appropriately. We're talking about the crises of the soul. Where do I go? See, humanistic answers have a limit. They only can go so far. And God's telling them, your humanistic choices to go to war or go ally with people, they're just going to get you in trouble. Knock it off. I'm going to deal with these people. Mick texted in, God is the highway that takes you where you need to go. Everything else is a frontage road. It may run for a stretch alongside the highway, but ultimately the frontage road ends before it takes you all the way. Nice. And yes, I set myself up for that, Sandy. You go to the book of Numbers for math problems. There you go. But um, boom, well done. Well done. Okay, so we have the verdict. We have some warnings of fear. Yeah, humanistic responses are as limited as the minds that come up with them. Boom. Well done, Mick. Uh, we have fear next, 12 to 14. Let me, let me make the screen scroll down in a second so we can see it all. Okay. Verse 12, but I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. You could translate moth. The similar word could mean pus. I like pus better. I don't like pus at all. I mean, all my nurse friends out there are like, oh gosh, that's horrible. I'm like pus to Ephraim. Like dry rot, like gangrene, Ew. to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. Boom. Ephraim wants to go against Judah, so they hire Assyria and they send them presents. Come help us beat up on Judah. And Judah's like, well, crap. I've got to get someone else to help me because I'm having to face our brothers in Israel and big bad Assyria. At this time, they weren't the biggest and the baddest, but they were getting there. Oh, what are we going to do? And they assumed we're going to be the biggest and the baddest. If they weren't already, I may, have, I may have misspoke. But he is not able to cure you, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim. 
And this isn't like, oh, who's the lion of Ephraim? Oh, God's going to be that guy. No, God's going to kick their butt, that lion. God's going to be a lion to Ephraim, a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and then go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. Dang, God, that right there sounds like that something's going to happen to Israel that's going to cause them to go away, that they're not going to be rescued. Hello? Yes, this is God calling his shot. Yet again, Ephraim, you're going to be toast soon. You're going to be destroyed. They're going to take you away. You're going to be no more. Crispy Critter's done. This is your last chance. You can imagine Hosea also saying. It's like the original, turn or burn. <laughs> Pay attention. This is all you've got left. Yeah, Aslan is not safe, but he is good. Yeah. Thank you, Sandy. What God says he's going to carry off, no one shall rescue. Dang. What are we fearing here? There's pus and rot and God, the destructive lion. We have to face this very idea. The same God who heals is the God who sometimes attacks. Yeesh. And this is to his own people, or at least the ones who claim to be his people. And that's really the point. They're not anymore. Wow. Let's go back to first vor. Well, let's, let's get there in a second. Verse 15. Now commentators will put verse 15 with the next section. And we probably will too. But you're going to get it here too. Because we're going to end with verse 15. And verse 15 has just a little bit of hope, I think. I think. Well, I will return again to my place. God just got done saying, remember, verse 14, I'm going to be like that lion. I'm going to tear them apart, carry away what I want to carry away, and then I'm going to be done. And nobody's going to rescue them. Who's going into the lion pit and taking away the barbecue from the lion? Who's doing that? No one's doing that. That's the image God's using here. I'm going to tear. Is he going to use the Assyrians to do it? Yes. We've already experienced this with Nahum. The Babylonians are going to come, and Nahum's freaking out. Yes. We've already got this. And the minor prophets that God's going to send his army and the Babylonians are going to come through and wipe people out. Well, here it's going to be the Assyrians. The very people Jonah didn't want to go to. Those guys. And now God's saying, I'm going to return to my place. I don't know what that means. This is God talking. Is he saying, I'm just going to go back to heaven? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Where is God not at? It's hard to put God in one location. This is God saying, I'm just going to leave. And I'm going to go that way. You think I'm here? No, I'm going to go there. That's really essentially what it is. 
until they acknowledge their guilt, seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. So let's go back to verse four. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For those of you who are, who are like inwardly freaking out, Joel, you should have unpacked that earlier. I'm waiting until now. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Do you know how terrifying that verse is? That verse is just as terrifying as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament gospel accounts. And like I always say with that, if you ever have worried that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Or if you have ever done the unpardonable sin, that's it. Have I done the unpardonable sin? My answer is probably not. Why do I, why do I say that boldly? It's because throw yourself in the context of those Pharisees. And if you're as hard of heart as they are, they listened to what Jesus said and they were like, whatever. I'll give you blasphemy. You know what? You're the blasphemer. Don't talk to us about blasphemy, Jesus. Blasphemy the Holy Spirit, whatever. The unpardonable sin, yeah, yeah, whatever. Who cares? That's how hard of heart they were, where they could literally see Jesus casting out a demon and saying that was Satan doing it, okay? So it's like to be that hard of heart, you wouldn't care what you did or how it was interpreted. That's the flavor I'm getting here. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. They are so far gone. That's that playing the whore, being defiled. They are so much on Baal's team when they claim to be on Yahweh's team that God has picked up the ball and carried it home. There's no more game. You're with your team. It's kind of like the old C.S. Lewis quote. At the end of time, God's either going to say, you know, you're either going to say thy will be done or God's going to look at you and your choices and say, you said thy will be done. So you, you basically get the eternity you deserve, that you chose. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. You know what that return means? It means you can't repent. You are too far gone. That is terrifying. That should shock you. We're hoping it shocks Ephraim. We're hoping that they're hearing Hosea say this and going, oh gosh, that's it. We're hoping. We're hoping. So we get to the end here. I will return again to my place. Ouch. Until they acknowledge their guilt. So basically that word acknowledge is like to have knowledge of you are recognizing you are guilty. See, they don't care. If they're so far gone, that they are doing such horrible, horrible things that God literally is calling them a whore and playing the whore. I mean, there's something about adultery. You're either committing adultery or you're not committing adultery. It's pretty darn clear. God is making it clear. You are committing adultery. What we have is done. And yes, he has that moment with Gomer. We have that sweet, we have this idea there's going to be hope one day. But right now, I don't know. The Assyrians are coming. Yeah. Your deeds do not permit you to return to their God. 
probably because their God is not Yahweh. If you really think about it, their God is Baal. Their God is Chemosh, whatever God you want, Asherah. Their God is themselves, i.e. Satan, who wants you to worship yourself. You can't return to God because you've already got a God. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. Verse 4 is terrifying. It should be. Wake up, O sleeper. Until they acknowledge their guilt, seek my face, and their distress earnestly seek me. Um, I spent some time today with my Hebrew lexicon because I was like, okay. So I, I looked at the Hebrew. I'm like, this is seek twice. They got to seek my face and then in, in, in their distress earnestly seek me. When I saw that repetition, I was like, hmm, I wonder if it's the same Hebrew word. And to my delight, you can imagine playing the Indiana Jones music in the background. I'm like, oh, here I go, here I go. And to my delight, I'm looking at the Hebrew and I'm going, ooh, it's the same word in English, but it's different words in the Hebrew. Yeah, that made me excited. So then I got to break out my lexicon. I'm looking up this first. Okay, okay, find it, find it, find it. You will seek my face. That idea is you're just looking. Okay, when you say seek something, okay, I'm looking for it. I'm aiming to find it. Okay, there it is, there it is. If I was shooting, you know, archery, I want to aim, find the target, find, I found the target. Okay, I've got it, I've got it. I'm looking right where I need to go. Okay, I got to adjust for wind. I'm doing what I need to do. Okay, now I'll release. Boom, I hit the target. So you're looking for it. You're, you're seeking for it. So seek the face of God. It's like you're tossing out any hope you've got with God. They got to admit their guilt and they got to seek. But the second one, the second one was great. It's that second word for seek. I'm not going to bore you with the Hebrew. I actually didn't write it down. So I'm not, I can't even tell you right now. But I got the idea. It is a disciplined longing. It's kind of like what in Luke 15, how Jesus described the widow looking for that coin. She longed to find that coin. And her longing was so strong that she disciplined herself and swept the entire place just to find that coin. Or the shepherd who longed to find that lost sheep. The one out of a hundred. And he disciplined himself to find that sheep. It is a disciplined longing your only hope as a sinner is to admit your guilt, to recognize that you are guilty, to look to God for your answer, and then, and then. And I think the looking to God is kind of like saying the sinner's prayer. It's like making that commitment and saying, okay, God, I'm on your team now. I accept Jesus and what he did on my behalf. But now you got to live your life. And see, this is where I failed. I didn't have that discipline longing. If you're not disciplined about your life, you're not a disciple. And I'm sorry if that's a mic drop. It's the same word. If you're not disciplined, you're not a disciple. Discipline longing. What's your longing? God. 
in their distress, earnestly seek me. You see, recognize you are guilty. We all have excuses or rationalizations. We live by those excuses. I'm holding tough cards. Oh, the terrier's nipping at my heels. Oh, life has thrown me a curveball. You know what? If you only you walked a mile in my shoes, you boy, you'd find out real quick what I'm dealing with. Fine. But enough already. Excuses to rationalizations. Do not live by them. On the day of judgment, excuses and rationalizations aren't going to get you anywhere. Why would they now? Well, God, if you only knew what kind of, what, what kind of life I was having to face, you, you know how hard it is to turn to you. Hello, God gave you your life. God ordained your life. God arranged your life so that you would come to him. And God doesn't know. That God's going to put up with your excuses, your rationalizations. Oh, please, in your distress, earnestly seek God. Some of you are going through really hard stuff right now. Some of you have been going through this hard stuff for decades. Disciplined longing. That is your only hope. You're admitting you're guilty. That's why I said this is kind of hope. Is it hope for Israel? Maybe. Verse 4, I see no discipline or longing there except longing for their filth pursuing their filth, longing to play the harlot, longing to be the whore with regards to God, talking a good game, but then doing everything else. In your distress, earnestly seek God. It's a good point, Daniel. The good shepherd has a rod not only for guidance, but also discipline. Discipline, you receive discipline, but just remember, disciples are disciplined. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. It just doesn't fit. I'm not questioning your salvation. But as we read God's word, God's Holy Spirit works through his word. If your heart has been challenged tonight, good. Pay attention. We don't ever follow our hearts, but we do pay attention. In your distress, earnestly seek God. What do you have discipline with your longings for? What do you long for? How disciplined are you to receive those things? I'm just following my dreams. I'm just following what I just have set before me. And I just can't wait to accomplish this. And boy, I'm going to have this on my resume. I'm going to have this in my Christmas card letter. I'm going to have this for my tombstone. I'm going to have this for my obituary. I can't wait. This is going to be on a business card. This is going to be on a Facebook status. I can't wait to do this and see it on my shelf. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. What are you disciplined for? What do you long for? Now, do you long for God? Do you long for the things of God? That's really the meaning of life right there. Are you, are you having an earnestly seeking of God? An earnest seeking of God? Wow. I mean, that, 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 there it is. If that is you, Israel, Judah, you listening to me right now, if that is you, there's hope. That's why I said that hope maybe gets hard road. You have to admit you're a sinner. You have to seek God's face. 
And then you got to go a step deeper and actually seek God. Not just his face. And okay, there he is. Okay, great. I, I'm, I'm glad to know that I've got this, I've got this gym card in my wallet. I can work out anytime I want, but I'm not going to do it. But I've got it there just in case. Oh, I see God's face. There he is. Earnestly seek God. And Isaiah nailed it. A couple of you mentioned in the text. Seek God. Well, he can be found. Because we get this in Hosea 5. There's going to come a time where God's not going to be found anymore. And that's also terrifying. There's no gospel in the Old Testament. Hogwash. There's gospel in verse 15. Our only hope is to never be enough. Our only hope is if we're not the answer. If we are Humpty Dumpty broken at the base of that wall, where all the king's horses and all the king's men are going to come try to put us back together, we're going to try to put us back together, but nobody can put us back together. Humanistic answers fail eventually. Our only hope is earnestly seek God. That's the message of Hosea. That message looks forward to Jesus. This has been Big Rev from Hosea 5. Thanks for letting me share.